Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Jack, and this is the place where we seek insight and understanding into the field of psychology through lectures in my early episodes and through conversations with diverse professionals and students in the field of psychology. This is a place that I hopefully can help them share their individual stories. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so I'm very humbled that you decided to stay and visit. So grab your favorite beverage and get comfortable. Oh, unless you're uh, jogging, you know, that would be kind of awkward. Today, I'm very happy to share with you a conversation I had recently with an undergraduate psychology student, Lisa Heng. She's a junior at the University of Louisville, and she taught me how to pronounce it uh, shorthand. You'll listen to it in the episode. And uh, she's double majoring in public health and psychology. So she's Cambodian-American, and she grew up observing how intergenerational trauma and the barriers to mental health care access led to worsened health outcomes in her community. So that's her one of her primary motivators for going into this field. And right now she's working with the Asia Institute Crane House to promote trauma-informed, culturally competent care. I'm hoping that if you're a late high school, early college student and thinking about going into the field of psychology, I hope you make time to listen to our chat, our conversation, because we dive into a lot. Um, Of course, we dive into a lot of her personal life history and what uh, motivated her to pursue this field. And but we also talk about what life is like as an undergrad, what it was like to start at the university level right when the pandemic hit, basically starting as an online student, and also what it's like to be a minority on her campus uh, where there are not many people who look like her and what that experience is like as well. So along the way, we dive into a lot of different topics and I hope you'll uh, get a lot out of it. I had a lot of fun in this particular episode and we dove into a lot more topics than I really expected. So I hope to talk with more undergraduate students down the line as well. Okay, well, before we get started though, I wanna give you a brief reminder that If you get some benefit from my podcast and you want my podcast to get even better, the best way is to support this podcast. And how many times can I use the word podcast in one sentence? How you can help me is by subscribing, following, and sharing it on your social media and within your podcasting app, especially if you have an iPhone. Um, The Apple Podcasts ratings and reviews are very, very few compared to those who listen on Spotify. So I'd like the iPhone users to step up a little bit and help me out. And you can also support me by buying me coffee. I'm an avid coffee drinker, and so the episodes are only better when I'm caffeinated. Also, when I receive support, and this goes for any, I guess, content creator, that there's a higher likelihood that you will encourage them to continuing uh, their efforts. So even though it's not an endeavor where I am making significant income or supporting myself with the podcast. It's really a passion project. I think having the occasional reinforcement is nice. Okay, let's get on with today's episode. Okay, I'm very excited to have Lisa on the show this week. And so Lisa, hello. Hi, Dr. Jack. (laughs) Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, Nice to meet you too. I'm so excited. Uh, I sent this email uh, invitation out to the um, Asian American Psych Association listserv, right? And yes. uh, and I had so many people respond, and, and you're one of the students, and you're my first guest who's an undergrad psych student. So I'm really interested in getting your perspective on things. 
and uh, talk about your background. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your background and sort of like an origin story, which I'm doing with everyone. How did you get inspired to go into the field of psychology? So you can start as far back as you need to. Okay, yeah. Um, so my new thesis, of course, um, I go to the University of Louisville and I'm currently a junior double majoring in public health and psychology. I first came in as a public health major, mm -hmm. um, wanting to be an epidemiologist, but how society treated COVID made me rethink that. You know, really? made me think about, um, I was able to deal with the burnout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that got me interested in psychology. Oh. And um, I found that the two majors intersect a lot. And I think we need more of it in academia. So for some personal background, mm -hmm. I am Cambodian American and I was raised by two refugees from mm -hmm. the Cambodian genocide. So yeah. much of my lived experiences have been shaped by that. Um, I grew up in the south side of Louisville, which is the most ethnically diverse uh, neighborhood in Louisville. So I grew up around this low income ethnic enclave of mm. a lot of refugees from the Vietnam War and the Cambodian genocide. Yeah. So growing up and navigating um, the school system here, which was mostly all white or mm. dominated by rich East Asians, I had a lot of identity issues and mm. trying to find my place in um, education so um as i got into my collegiate studies at uofl and learning about health disparities i found that wow this is pretty much what i've been living my whole life yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um that got me wanting to uh, research about how to address those health disparities especially in among the southeast asian community because i feel like we get grouped with the overall East Asian community who, right. you know, gets often gets touted as the model minority myth. Mo yeah. Um, yeah. In school, for example, people, when I say that I'm in public health or psychology, they always assume that I'm in there for pre-med or I just mm -hmm. want to be a doctor because my parents told me to. But no, I just want to um, go to school to decrease those health disparities in my community and hopefully serve as a role model for um, other Southeast Asians coming from low income populations such as me. Um, I really want to work with trauma affected populations, mm. um, looking to be a clinical psychologist um, because I feel that- On the research side or uh, also on the clinical or both? Um, research side. The research side of things, okay. Yeah, looking to see how um, we can improve culturally competent care in mm -hmm. clinical settings. Yeah, yeah. That is um, pretty amazing how, how targeted and focused you are for an undergrad because I think a lot of undergrad psych majors, and I can speak by, from my own experience, mm -hmm. even just the knowing what field of psych to go into I think right. for a lot of, I can say, I can say, use the term us, meaning maybe me <laughs> and a lot of people who went through it, just sort of like, you know, and, and, and several of the psychology professionals I interviewed, uh, especially a lot of these psych uh, instructors, really did not know which specific field they wanted to go into, you know, once they got their bachelor's degree, it was sort of like, you had to do a little soul searching. And for myself, I went to social psych, 
Mm-hmm. And then four years into it, I decided, no, I wanted to be a therapist and I went to counseling psych, you see? So it made yeah. a lot of these sort of U-turns and left turns along the way. So I'm pretty impressed by the fact that, and, and you have this passion based on your own personal experience. Now, let me backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Did you go and choose psychology precisely because of that reason? Or what made you switch from public health to psych at that moment? Um, right. You know, that, that sort of triggered that transition. Talk a little bit more about Absolutely. that. Yeah, I think you, you talked in general about it, but it's a little bit more specific. Yeah. So, um, like I said, um, during COVID, mm-hmm. I worked as a frontline health worker, um, contacting people and trying to get them to schedule their COVID vaccination appointments. And that mm-hmm. job really burnt me out as a public health major. So um, that burnout led me to sitting there and reflect on yeah. my own mental health. Yeah. So around that time, 2020 was the first time I went to go see a mental health professional. Mm. And um, the discussions this has, the discussions that came as a result of that with my family got me thinking, wow, we as an Asian family do not ever talk about this. Right. So um, I had to I don't know, like just talking to my parents made me realize there are so many barriers to yeah. mental health care with the Asian community. Yeah. So um, that got me thinking that, hey, if I'm suffering from like, you know, work burnout, imagine my parents who came here as refugees and probably have been doing this for decades. How, yeah. how, must, how would they be feeling? So um, that got me really passionate about um, just you know, helping first generation immigrants such as my parents and myself Mm. understand that intergenerational trauma from immigration, work, and finding our place in America, for example. So the field of public health did not serve that particular purpose, because I don't know too much about what public health professionals do. It is sort of sort of a maybe maybe just a a vague notion because I actually worked in the School of Public Health as one of my grad student jobs, you yeah. know, doing data entry. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't yeah. have a I don't have a deep knowledge of public health. So let's say that that is the issue you're passionate about, right? What's the difference between, you know, what a psychology psychology researcher can do versus a public health epidemiologist would be able to do to sort of further or improve that situation? Yeah, so public health is a very broad um, Mm -hmm. field. Um, I was originally in it for epidemiology reasons, so um, studying the prevalence and like um, incidence of diseases in certain populations and just tracking their um, growth and causes Mm -hmm. over time. So it's very data heavy. And the public health topic or concentration area that I'm focusing on now as a result of public uh as a result of psychology is health promotion and public policy so um I would say that like public health in the public policy route is more of changing our policies and working with community stakeholders as opposed to psychology research which is more of um finding interventions with the patient themselves to um, address those health disparities that we identify in public health. So I think they're very 
connected. Yeah, I think they are very connected. That's very interesting. Um, yeah. And I also want to focus on the burnout issue, right? So was it the, the hours? Was it just also just living in the pandemic? I mean, what do you think contributed to your specific burnout? If it's okay to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So it was definitely apathy from the general public from uh, not right. wanting to get their uh, vaccinations and right. just you know, getting berated over phone calls uh -huh. and getting paid 10 or $11 an hour, which is pretty standard for, you know, like a yeah. low level government worker. Right. But um, all those factors combined just made me very um, burnt out because like I wasn't mad at the people I, were ta I was talking to for being so dismissive of um, vaccines, right. but rather the root causes of why they're so distrustful in the first place so you know like lack of education um right. distrust of the government so yeah. that just made me really and then um, all the disinformation that's out there not just misinformation yeah. but disinformation yeah yeah so i really felt sympathy for them rather than like oh you guys are just ignorant you know yeah yeah actually that's a very mature point of view to take um because i think a lot of us who become very polarized or embedded in our political ideologies Right. Well, it's easy to dismiss right. people with different points of view as being, oh, they're they're dumb for thinking this way, blah, 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 blah. But instead, you take the perspective of of trying to put yourself in their shoes and say, OK, I can kind of get why they would think this way. And I feel bad that they're kind of stuck in that bubble because Absolutely. it hurts. Yeah. And they're not able to see the benefits. And, and the reality is that it can save lives. Yeah, so that experience just made me more interested in public policy to address those social determinants of health that are causing them to think and believe the way that they do, rather than the data-centered epidemiology side. Because I'd rather work with the people than just the, you know, surface-level yeah. data. So when you're in high school, let's go back there. Now, were you born in the U.S. or were you a young child when you came um, over? I was born in the U.S., so yeah. I lived in Kentucky my whole life. Okay, yeah. So that's interesting. You're in the state. It's kind of like me in Texas, actually. I guess I, <laughs> I went to University of Texas for undergrad and Houston for grad school. So I guess, I, yeah. you know, because sometimes I wonder why, why were you stuck in the same state the whole time? It's like, well, I did the same thing. Yeah. Um, even though we traveled a lot. Okay, anyway, so uh, in, in high school, you're talking about just uh, the, the variety of different and, and I'll, actually what I wanted to explore was this notion that Asian Americans are clumped as one group right mm -hmm. I want to focus on that for a minute because I think we I know that through my uh, analytics that I have a lot of listeners overseas whether they're in India or other parts of Asia as well interesting as, yeah UK and Australia right so yeah. uh, not huge numbers but you know there are people listening from a variety of places so they may not mm -hmm. know the dynamic of what's happening within the right. u.s right 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 and so yeah so yeah shed some light on that because i know i know you understand it like, like what does it mean to be asian american and what do you think most people think asian americans are and that kind of thing so i went to a particularly interesting high school um dupont manual high school is the number one ranked high school in kentucky and i think it's like top 50 nationally nationwide so as a result it's very competitive and a lot of the alumni go on to ivy league schools or you know other top 50 colleges and of the nature so um in high school i was actually wanting to be a computer scientist until i 
got some experience in my STEM magnet and I realized, okay, compared to these Asian peers, I there must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I um, struggling to grasp these elementary concepts compared to the other Asians in this in my magnet program? And then um, it became very clear to me when they would invite me to, you know, hang out at their homes or whatever. And like, that was the first time I knew that there was a class difference, maybe a class difference. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I went into high school being so excited that I would have more Asian friends and feel Mm. more at home. Mm. But interestingly enough, it made me feel more alienated. Mm. Um, Instead of race, I was alienated based off my socioeconomic level. And that was really um, eye-opening to see and heartbreaking because um, I was so eager to find my place and, you know, just pursue my dreams. But it ended up being really competitive. Um, I was the only Cambodian in Mm. my high school magnet program. Um, Most of the students there were Indian, Chinese, or mm-hmm. Korean. So what, what what were their perceptions of you being yeah. Cambodian? I mean, were, were they intellectually mature enough to understand? Or, or did they have sort of the stereotypical view of, oh, you're, you're from a really poor country and, and all, everything that's attached to that? It's kind of weird because I think they held me to both standards. So mm-hmm. they thought I... Um, they saw me as a competitor, but also someone that they can look down upon. Mm-hmm. I think it reflected a lot of their parents' thinking, which is very traditional. Like, right. I, um, I, I feel like I've gotten more racist comments from my own East Asian community rather mm-hmm. than like the white student population, yeah. which is really yeah. uh, eye-opening again. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and again, for Americans who are non-Asian or for anyone else like not living in the states, it's probably hard for them to grasp, right? You would think that yeah. oh, you're all from Asia, y'all should really just get along, but there are so many fractured groups. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Whether, like you said, it's by this sort of imaginary hierarchy that oh, you know, we're we're a quote unquote developed country and you're from yes. southeast asia yes like yes. person from lao from thailand from Mi- my wife's from myanmar you uh-huh. know get that all the time right or it could absolutely be, this could be a skin tone issue yeah definitely like a very colorist perspective yeah definitely yeah. definitely so i think that's something that might be eye-opening for those who are not really understanding because this totally is related to the model minority myth you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. right so unpack that a little bit for those who are not familiar with that. Yes. So the model minority myth is the myth that Asian people as a whole are smart, um, rich, white adjacents. But um, and you might think, what is the issue with these stereotypes if they're positive? Well, for people like me, half of Asia, Southeast Asia and other groups that are not East Asian, um, we get put to those same standards. And um, when we don't fulfill those expectations, people wonder, people perceive us as lesser than. Mm-hmm. And it's just very harmful. Like 
going back to high school in my math classes, I was the only Southeast Asian. And I definitely did not fit the <laughs> um, stereotype that all Asians are good at math. And even my white teacher was thinking that I had like some kind of disability, like learning disability. <laughs> yeah, so, how come um, you don't fit the mold? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, in my high school in Texas, uh, back in the early 80s, um, so we're going back a bit, we had a lot of Vietnamese refugees, probably Cambodian too, but I didn't meet any Cambodian uh, classmates at the time. And there weren't that many Asian students, but the predominant number were, were from Vietnam. Right. And they were an ESL class, right? Because because they mm -hmm. weren't born here. And when we moved from Taiwan to Texas, I was placed in ESL, even though I spoke fluent English, because I actually grew up in Connecticut, moved to Taiwan, went to school, then came back to Texas, came to Texas. So I was pretty much bilingual, but the counselors who assessed me, and I was so hyper shy, they assumed I didn't speak English very well. I relate to right. that. Yes. Yeah. And so they didn't really understand even, they just assumed that, so they just threw me in ESL and basic math and that kind of stuff. And I realized that, oh, you know, um, the model minority myth in a way was kind of split, I think, like you're saying, between the East Asians, then you have the refugee class, right? That, right. That their level of expectations. So I was kind of clumped with the refugees in a sense, because I remember my high school counselor would not encourage me to take the more difficult math classes. So I ended mm -hmm. up being uh, one year behind. Oh, wow. You know, instead of taking calculus with everybody else, taking trig, that kind of thing, right? Because my counselor yeah. said, why don't you take wood shop? Why don't you take metal shop? <laughs> I was in there with all the jocks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, no other Asian students were there doing, making wood products, right? Uh, or metal products. And, uh, and yeah, and, and speaking of that sort of, intra-asian sort of racism or classism I, I got that a lot from my parents as well i think there's a lot of comments i, I remember hearing from one of my wife's uncles that and, and they said they were looking for a new house around houston right and i said well how come you didn't consider these areas and he said well we chose this area because you know there are good asians here we didn't want to live over there with the bad asians I was the like, bad asians wow, yeah the bad asians what's that <laughs> Which usually just means like darker skin toned Asians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or those yeah. from so-called third world countries, um, even though he's half Chinese, half Burmese. No, he's actually a Chinese Burmese, an overseas Chinese who happens to be from Burma. It's complicated, yeah. but, but they, they see themselves as being a, somehow of a higher rank in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really depressing. Yeah. It is sad once you sort of see it for what it is. And, and yeah, it, it was just... Uh, like you said, very enlightening for me to sort of see, see that over the years growing up, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. So I, I, I just wanted to focus on that a little bit. It's just very interesting to to sort of live through that model model minority myth. So hopefully those listening can get a little bit better idea than we all of us Asians are not clumped into a group. And what happens, as you know, is that if policymakers hold that same idea, then they're going to assume that there are no poor Asians. Yes. America, right. Yeah. They're not going to get resources. There are no homeless Asian people. You know, mm -hmm. they don't suffer from all the pe things that other people suffer from. Right. And that's why I'm looking to um, fill in those research gaps with my own personal lived experience, because I don't think there are many Southeast Asians or, you know, that refugee class you mentioned in academia right now. So I hope to um, get that information out there so yeah. policy can be revised. 
yeah, you're going to be part of that representation, right? That's going to be so right. important, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So how did your family respond to you wanting to pursue this line of work? Did they have an expect, any expectation for you? Like a lot of the sort of the, the stereotypical Asian American parent about pushing them into the, the three acceptable fields of study, <laughs> right? Yeah. And psychology and public health is not in that. So how, how did they respond to that when you just, when you told them you wanted to study that? Let's be honest, my brother is already in med school, so it probably uh, like checked off their list of expectations already. But, <laughs> so so um, you, the expectations for you was a little, so we're gonna talk about the gender stereotypes, right? <laughs> in oh, Asian yes. families. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> was he the prize prince? And then you're like, okay, whatever you wanna do, Lisa, it's fine with us. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think they knew that I was not always a STEM kid growing up. Like I've been in art classes since I was five years old. So, um, but they did push me to get a job that is, you know, has a lot of security and that I wouldn't go homeless or broke. And, you know, art was not a viable choice for me. So um, I went in knowing that I enjoyed science, at least in research. Um, in high school, I applied to this internship for um it it connected low-income high school students to lab research skills so it was acclimating them to the research world and getting them familiar with how academia is run so i got matched to this um ecology lab when i was 16 or 17 and that made me feel like oh wow i could make a living out of this this is very natural to me um you don't see asian people in ecology or environmental science often but my lab group was so accommodating and friendly to me they treated me like I was their own wow. and um that made me realize that maybe I can um connect my interests with you know um public health and mm -hmm. this the more hard science research side to appease my parents but also that <laughs> because I like it right, right, right um so i should have you talk to my daughter she's 19 she's going to transfer to oregon state and uh, she has done art all her life as well mm -hmm. and her her first major of choice was environmental science and now <laughs> she switched to marine studies so it's still very similar in that field so oh, I, wow. I think you i think you two have a lot in common actually just i would listen. love to talk to her about yeah, it <laughs> yeah 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 just listen to you talk about what your interests are yeah. um okay so so I, I guess they were just kind of sort of cool with whatever you were going to choose. The fact that you were going to college, they're probably happy, happy about the fact that, oh, you're going to college nearby and whatever. Oh, so yeah. Are you, are you staying in a dorm or are you staying at home? Since you're I'm staying at home because yeah. um, it's University of Louisville. It's only 12 to 15 minutes away from me. And um, my parents pretty much leave me alone for the most part because they want me to focus on my studies. Um, I'm going there on a full scholarship. So they're just proud of me for that for getting a college degree in the first place because yeah. you know they came here with some high school experience due to mm -hmm. the uh, Cambodian genocide yeah. and they've been working in factory jobs their whole lives so mm. just to see their kids you know happy in a professional career is all they want so yeah I think a lot of the first generation Asian Americans um, sacrificed a lot uh, yes. coming here, right? A lot of mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, sacrificed their status, right? They may have yes. had very sound, professional, educated jobs back home. Then when they come to the U.S., they have to start over. 
and right. maybe work menial jobs, maybe have to work in convenience stores or or entry level retail, like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think with um the Cambodian genocide was that mm -hmm. the uh regime, the Khmer Rouge, yeah, Khmer Rouge, um tried to kill all the educated That's um right. citizens, the like the you know doctors, the chefs, the lawyers. So what was left was pretty much a very um, agrarian mm -hmm. society. So um, I would say that my parents are from that background, like you know, not very. They weren't professionals in their right. past life, but now they're just, you know, coasting by. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, and I, yeah. and I think those who who suffered a lot and come over here as refugees or 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 my in the migrant class so to speak i think when they bring up their children they really focus on that security aspect of it right mm -hmm. so of course it makes sense that they lean on the idea of oh my daughter or son should be a doctor because those are the ones that they assume have high incomes and would provide financial stability yes right? yeah. and, and so the sort of that idea of oh my my child should pursue something that they're passionate about that's kind of a foreign idea because that goes against that idea. And, and Taiwanese Americans were the same way in my, in my dad's generation was, you don't choose something that you love, you choose something because you have good skills at it and can provide stability and security, right? Mm -hmm. So right. in the second gen, suddenly we, we're, we're in the stable household and we can pursue things we love is sort of like a luxury. Exactly, yeah. I um, Because my brother was in med school, he played a large role in helping my parents understand the field of psychology in general um, during the COVID pandemic, the, like the first quarantine period in 2020. Um, when I first got on psychiatric medication for, you know, standard anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. um, my parents were always like, why do you need that? Like, just eat better and sleep more. Like, right. you don't need these um, medications. And my brother, with his background and credentials, helped them open their minds and he was able to translate it into easier terms for them to understand. Yeah. So now they are very supportive of me being in psychology and realize that they have some, you know, leftover trauma of themselves. So yeah. they are very supportive of me yeah. in psychology. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that we're making good progress with the stigmatization of uh, not only mental illness, but just of things like depression and anxiety um, and people taking psychiatric yeah. medications, right? Because there was a time mm -hmm. I recall not too long ago where people just never mentioned it. Where, you know, it's it's just so stigmatizing. You don't mention it with your colleagues at work. You know, what would people think? That um, you must be crazy if you're on a medication. Oh yeah, the crazy and, stigmatizing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I can tell you that my household we're all on one type of medication or the other, right? For anxiety mm -hmm. or depression as well. I mean, yeah. I, I don't mind saying that as well because it's it was I just. It's courageous of you to just be casual to just say, oh, yeah, I'm on medication. And, and I, yeah. I'm glad that we're at that stage. We can do that. Yeah, I think it should be seen as normal as, hey, I'm on um, I'm taking insulin for my diabetes because exactly. it's, it's a chronic illness. So, right. Right. yeah. Yeah. OK, Lisa, let's uh, transition a little bit and talk a little bit about what you're doing now in as an undergrad at. Uh, right. Uh, would, would I say U of L or is it UL, University of Louisville? What's the short uh, for that? U of L. It's very slurred. Okay. You know, yeah, that Midwestern yeah, yeah. accent. <laughs> oh, okay. Say it for me then. <laughs> it's just like U of L. U of L. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, do you、uh, get into like the basketball culture there and the rivalries, the team sports? Do you ever like do any of that? Yeah, it's very、um, big here. It's huge. Louisville、yeah. versus Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah, yeah rivalry, yeah. yeah. But recently, our basketball program hasn't been. Very good due to scandals. So, oh no, okay. I sorry. I'm sorry、yeah. I brought that up. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I had no idea. I haven't been following NCAA basketball in a while. It's okay. fine. Okay, sorry, U of L students,、um, that you have to suffer through that. <laughs> All right. So,、uh, oh, so how do you enjoy campus life? Let's talk about that. What's life like as an undergrad in general?、Um, good and the bad and the ugly and all that. So. I am often the only Asian student in my psychology classes. Really? So, yeah. I'm surprised by that. Okay. Yeah. So my classes are mostly white,、um, mm-hmm. and whenever we go to talk about cultural differences in our psychology classes, I always feel like people are looking at me when it comes to Eastern versus Western cultural differences. So、um, suddenly, your burden your burden with being the expert. Just, yeah, yeah, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a lot of that. Okay, good. <laughs> and、um, so when I go to you know network with other psychology students or colleagues, my first impressions are almost always well received. When I consciously make an effort to avoid conforming to stereotypes, so I have to worry and focus about speaking without an accent,、um, mm-hmm. wearing contacts.、Um, And discussing、hmm. unexpected interests and hobbies to get, make myself more relatable, you know, wow, like、yeah. discussing art history or hiking or weightlifting things that Asian people usually don't do.、Yeah. Um, so a lot of that、um, I have to feel like I have to do because、um, people always assume that Asian folks in psychology are just premeds looking for an easy 4.0 GPA.、Uh, um, so I have to do a lot to. Make sure that I don't, you know, mold into those stereotypes, because I feel like、um, in order to be seen as individuals, people of color in America have to prove that they aren't stereotypes at a first glance, while white Americans have the privilege to be seen as whatever they choose to present themselves as. Right. right. So、um, it's a burden. It is a burden. Yeah. So、um, in my psychology classes, I just try to make it clear that I'm not here to be. A doctor, like in tr- in the traditional sense of like you know getting a medical right. degree,、um, I just want to better understand and support the emotional needs of our community, that's often overlooked due to the model minority myth. So,、um, you know, once I get across that barrier of first impressions,、mm-hmm. I usually、um, am accepted, and people really like my perspectives on just certain psychology、mm-hmm. topics like resilience or you know, alcoholism. Acculturation, acculturation, assimilation, yeah, yeah.、Mm-hmm. right, things right. like that. Yeah, and the fact that you feel conscientious that you have to rid yourself of any accent or not wear glasses, you know, present yourself a certain way. That's also in an attempt to assimilate as well, isn't it? Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I find myself doing that in a different way during the pandemic, as you know, a lot of Asians Americans have been targeted, right?、Mm-hmm. And so, for me, being in Texas, not not that Texas has anything to do with it. I don't think it's any different than New York or California, but in that respect. But I find myself when I'm in public, or when we're on a road trip, long road trip, and I have to go into a public space and interact with people or or、yes. cashier, that I find myself. Turning on this charm and being super friendly, 
And and like you're saying, you know, speaking, I don't have an accent as could be because I grew up with that mentality of, you know, I need to fit in. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I would find myself just striking up conversation as almost like a preemptive disarming to let people yes. know that, hey, I'm American too, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like trucks and, <laughs> you know, I'll compliment a guy on his truck, you know, that kind of thing in Texas. Like, hey, nice yeah. rims. Just to make conversation. Hey, what's what kind of gas mileage you get with that? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, I get and, it. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I wonder, geez, is that is that really me, or is it just I'm forcing myself to do that? Right. Right. Um, I feel like it is me, but it's me without the Asian sprinkles and hints. So. Um, yeah, it sucks that I have to do that in the first place, but I feel like I have no choice because going to a school in Kentucky, of all places, it's not yeah. like SoCal where right. there are Asian folks everywhere in class. But I thought being in a university campus, no matter where you are, whether you're in Wisconsin yeah. or Illinois, that I thought it would be more diverse just because it's a college campus. But from what I'm hearing, even though you're in psychology and the liberal arts, or are more, more the Asian American students in the math and sciences, not the stereotype, but yes. is that where you find them? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I thought that They're would change by now because your experience is like mine. And that was a long time ago when yeah. I was a psych major. I was the only Asian looking person in the room. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just the Louisville thing because I've read that Louisville is the fourth most segregated city in America. So mm. I feel like we have a lot to, of catching up to do in terms of social progress. Yeah. So. Is U of L yeah. known for having more in-state students? I guess every university yes, is sort it, of yeah. being a state, being a state school, right? Mm -hmm. It's more focused on the yeah. In -state. It's an in-state school, yeah, um, with a lot of focus on athletic people from out of state. Um, but there's this pretty strong STEM program here. Um, yeah. A lot of, I would say, a lot of the Asian people here are usually uh, either in the engineering school or the. Um, College of Arts and Sciences, specifically biology, chemistry, to go on that pre-med route. So there's not mm -hmm. much in public health even or psychology. Yeah. But when I was an undergrad and grad student, I kind of felt, instead of feeling isolated, I felt kind of special being one of the few Asian people in my class. Does that, do you feel that sense sometimes? Yeah. So coming from that high school, I said, was very... Um, heavily Asian populated right. to going back to this uh, predominantly white space made me think, wow, <laughs> this is such a culture shock. <laughs> um, right, right. So I have a lot of people just treating me with like curiosity almost because, mm -hmm. you know, just asking me like, oh, where are you from? You know, that one question that yeah. all Asian Americans don't like. Right. But I just find that it's in innocent curiosity it's just from they're not like looking to be racist but they're just curious of how i am yeah so that's easier to handle i think yeah you know when people are just curious uh, i respect people for doing that rather than just people yeah, making uh, blanket assumptions about well, who you are and, and i like from. to um yeah i try to put on a positive impression especially one that uh does not conform to stereotypes to yeah prove to them that hey you know next time you see an asian person don't assume they're just a pre-med looking to make money <laughs> yeah do you feel a representation burden in a sense that you have to do well to represent cambodian 
future Cambodian American students. You know what I'm saying? Like yes, if you you yes. do really poorly or you're you're kicked out for cheating or something like you know shameful, <laughs> then then it's like oh, you know the faculty might think well I don't think we can really I don't think we really want more Cambodian American students. You know, oh yes, you know, I feel that, that so of... much. Yeah, like when I um, volunteer to participate in research labs, for example, um, I have to overcompensate and try to make make myself like, hey, this Lisa is an asset to us, you know, because if not, then they might not want to uh, take in more Asian students to participate in their lab or whatever you have, whatever opportunities there are. So. I, I do feel of the representation burden. Yeah, I'm not sh even sure if that's what it's called, but this is what came to mind: is this, you know, feeling yeah. that you're a burden just for, just for being who you are, right? And uh, so anyway, so what is your course load like when you're a double major uh, with public health and psych? Yeah, so um, I'm fortunate enough to take a lot of AP uh, courses in high school, so I came mm -hmm. in with a lot of credits. So I was able to skip my gen eds for the most part and go straight into my major classes. That's nice. Yeah. And they always complement each other. Like for public health, I have classes about um, social and behavioral health, um, public policy, report writing classes and things like that. While my psychology classes are more of um, cognitive, you know, um, I have classes about psychopathology. Um, right cognitive processes and things like that have you taken social development social i have social taken psych. social psychology yeah is yeah. that an amazing class it is amazing that has a lot of application i think to public health right yeah uh, and health psychology as well yeah mm -hmm. so i'm always um interlinking those two fields together like if i'm in my public health classes i'll bring up something i learned from my psychology classes and vice versa so i like to intervene that's a great integration. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of people usually think of psychology, sociology, or social work, psychology, or psychology and law even as good combinations. So I think psychology and public health, I think, is a terrific combination. Do you know of any other classmates or students or have professors told you that there are other students who do this double major? Or is it kind of um, unique right now for you? Kind of unique right now. Um, yeah. There is one other psychology and public health student and she's actually asian too and ah. she's the only other um <laughs> you found your soul yeah <laughs> your yeah kindred soul, uh, i know classmate. when we first met i was like wow i, I feel like we we're siblings or something yeah yeah. So, Unicorns, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that is really important because uh having her as a peer support in my life really makes me motivated and makes me not feel isolated so that's why i think we should strive for more representation because these experiences can be incredibly meaningful to um, individuals like me. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Um, so as a junior, so let's say it's spring. So you're finishing up your junior year, I guess. Right. Yes. So then you have starting your senior year in the fall. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about graduate school? What plans have you made at this point um, for the, for the next step? Right, because presumably you'll need a, a master's degree or even further, maybe to pursue your career goals. And and you talk about what do you visualize as being your your work life in the future? I guess. Um, because I know that clinical psychology doctor programs are really underfunded, and as a result, it's very hard to secure a spot. Hmm. Um, I'm thinking to 
take a year off to just focus purely on being a research assistant in some labs and help out with um, the current nonprofits I'm working with, which I will discuss in more detail soon. Um, yeah. So at the moment, I'm just taking it slowly and seeing where my outside of school opportunities and work experiences lead me because I find that those kind of control where I'm headed towards based yeah. on my um, networking experiences and whatnot. I think that's really smart to take that to take that break from jumping right into grad school, right? Yeah. Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people like myself just didn't know any better, didn't know there's an option of taking what's called a gap year or just going to work before, you know, committing to grad school. We just figure, okay, it's just the next step. You keep going. And we rush into it without really making, you know, having our eyes open to exactly which direction, not appreciating the amount of commitment of time and finances, right? To, to right. go into grad school that if you change mm -hmm. your mind, well, you just spend all that money and time in one field and now you're going to a different field, right? You're better off sort of being in the workforce or doing internships of, uh, you know, that kind of thing or volunteering. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to uh, work with the populations I want to research so I have a better um, understanding of them and overall just feel more motivated and passionate when I whenever I go to work on my dissertation, you know? Yeah. So um, I think having that is required for my, not only my academic um, development, but also my emotional and maturity. Um, yeah, for sure. Development, yeah. Yeah, for sure, yeah. That, that was definitely my case as well, just reflecting back on it. There were times where I felt like I should have put on the brakes to think about things. I, uh, there was so little reflection at the time, just felt rushed, like I rushed through all these stages without yeah. really thinking of them. What exactly, why? I started as a double E major, right, in engineering. Like, well, why did I choose it? I, I can't for the life of me figure out why I went to engineering other than I had a lot of friends who were going into engineering, right? Yeah. That's, not the good, that's not a good reason. Yeah. I didn't have the emotional, you're saying the emotional maturity yes. to sort of think about that or didn't even think that there were other choices besides jumping straight into college. Even from high school, I could have gone to work, right? And figure right. things out, then go to college. Let's say after that year of work, do you see yourself, I know you're very passionate about your local community. So if you do go to grad school, let's say for a master's degree in public health or a master's in psych, are you trying to stay local, right? Or do you see yourself yeah. going out of state for school then then coming back or um i'm not sure because i heard that in academia you're not supposed to stay in one location so it's best to broaden your experiences but i'm honestly not really sure yeah. i'll have to talk to my advisors and mentors yeah, about yeah. that it depends on the university this is what i know right some mm. universities are very open to because they figured they invested so much in you as an undergrad they know you you know and your potential your known product you're a yeah. safer bet, right, to enter their master's program because they want people, they want to recruit students who will finish, right, and, yeah. and make the program look good. The, the lower the risk, the better on their their part, right? Mm -hmm. But then there are some universities who really are more against that idea that they want, you know, like a United Nations consortium of students rather than just all the homegrown ones. So, yes, so yeah, yes. so that's something you want to look into, whether or not L is one of those universities. 
you know, right. what they're, and your professors should be able to tell you because these same professors you're taking will be the same ones who are teaching grad students, right? Yeah. Honestly, I see myself going out of state anyway because mm. um, I just looked at my like psychology faculty and I didn't see any that were uh, focusing on particularly uh, people of color and yeah. their experiences with intergenerational trauma. So, and that's fine, you know, you know, like some schools offer something that other students like, and that's fine. It's just a matter of fit. So I'm willing to relocate based on which research uh, lab has my, shares my interests. So. And this is something that was brought up in my previous conversation with a couple of PhD students is that just because you're applying to grad school, don't feel as if Oh, you're just lucky enough to get in the door, you know, that, yeah. that you know, it, you're also interviewing them. So mm -hmm. what you're saying about fit is that, you know, you don't want to go to a place because just because it's prestigious, but then you can't find a professor that's interested in the same area you are, right? Then it's not yeah. a fit, right? Yeah. You'd rather go to a, a place that may not have the uh, panache or whatever the word, you know, cachet in terms yeah. of, oh, what's, it, what, what's the name of that school again? You know, it doesn't matter if, you have a good a professor there who is a leader of that area that you're interested in. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of students don't see, like they just see the name of the school, like the, how elite it is. They just right. want the degree name, like the diploma, but you really got to, you know, do some research on your faculty and be like, oh, is this someone I really want to work with um, for the next two to five years? You know, it's really important to see how well you fit in their research. So now that you're in your third year, is there anything that you would have done a little bit differently when you can reflect on it? Like giving your, like, uh, your freshman self some advice, like, oh, look out for this, uh, think about this, that maybe uh, our listeners who are maybe late high school or early college can sort of maybe think about or consider? Yeah, I would say definitely um, get your emotional and mental well-being in check. Um, even if you don't think you have any mental health illnesses, mm -hmm. you should establish a um, regular uh, relationship with your, you know, counselor or therapist, you know, not, not just to like, you don't even have to be struggling with anything, but just to have someone who is there to talk about your daily stresses is very helpful. Um, for me, I wished I went in for a psychiatric um, evaluation earlier because mm. I found that I was undiagnosed with ADHD for the longest time. Mm. So once I got the appropriate treatment and all that, I started to excel in my classes and all the dots started connecting, you know, because I would often um, wonder, hey, why can't I sit here and read 20 pages in like a reasonable amount of time why am i you know taking so long on these assignments right, but then right. i just realized oh it's just a you know a cognitive issue i got medication and support and now i'm doing reaching my potential i would say so don't be afraid to um advocate for yourself for yeah sure. i think yeah and i have an episode that's about uh using the best kept secret in, in any college or university, which is the counseling center. Yes. Because, you know, out in the real world, therapy is very expensive, you know, especially if you, yeah. you know, don't have insurance or some therapists don't take insurance, you have to pay out of pocket. And so the fact that it's part of your student fees that 
you know, in addition to having an academic counselor, like you said, it's great to have a psychological counselor mm -hmm. as well. Even when you're not suffering that, you you know, like right. you said, yeah. And because that sometimes is where you get the most benefit is when you're clear of mind, life seems to be going good, then it's someone to just sort of bounce ideas off of, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be someone in your field, right? The psychological right. counselor can help someone in any field. Yeah, so I definitely think that should be destigmatized, just having someone to reach out to, especially in an age where loneliness is becoming an epidemic of sorts, so. Right, right, especially during the pandemic when classes went online. So were you already at L, I guess, when the pandemic sort of hit in the, the spring of 2020? Um, yes, yeah, so I was a graduate in high school for the 2020 year, so um, right. my high school got cut short. And then I went to U of L um, completely online for the first two years. Right. So um, yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. That, yeah. That definitely didn't work well with my ADHD. I yeah. was getting poor grades and wondering, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong? But I feel so bad for your particular cohort because I think you're about the same age as my daughter. She's 19 and mm -hmm. she's going to transfer as a junior as well. Yeah. And just because of, you know, she's so looking forward to in-person college classes right? yes yeah especially for the fact that you can meet friend make friends and stuff like that and uh and she has been able to do that this particular semester in person here she has like mm -hmm. these great buddies just like the the film turning red she has like a group of <laughs> their group of four and they've already identified who's yeah. who you know uh -huh. <laughs> right secret reference yeah yeah and so uh you know it, it would have been great if she had that a couple years ago but yeah. yeah, you know, you just, it's so much harder online to make those kind of connections with classmates. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so I think anyone in any age probably had their own level of suffering through the pandemic, but especially at that, that transitional age of high school to college, so significant, right? Yes, yes, yes. I, I just only hope that um, the older generations are able to sympathize with my cohort because there's a lot of... Um, talk lately about how oh gen z are just fragile lazy snowflakes etc and it's yeah. like no you haven't <laughs> have you been in our shoes but the thing is that that's perpetual right yeah. every generation has that sort of negative view of the younger generation right yeah it's yeah. weird because that you can trace that back from the world war ii generation to you know to my gen x i guess i think i am my generation, you know, from the baby boomers on down. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's, that's going to be the way in 20 years, you'll probably you and your cohorts and your friends, or whatever, will say the same thing about, you know, the, the next whatever gen that's going to be like, Oh, they're all on video games all day, or they're out they're doing virtual, they're in the metaverse all day. What's going on? You know? The metaverse, exactly. <laughs> Who knows where they're going to be? Yeah. Um, okay, so so I, I'm guessing now all your classes are in person, just back to back to normal in a way, right? Yes, but um, it's clear that that um, two years of online learning has affected the dynamic in class. Like a lot of students just look at their professors with glazed eyes, you know, mm. they don't participate often. And it's just sad because I think a lot of students are used to attending class with their microphones and uh webcams covered so they kind of apply that same mentality to in-person classes but um i try to bring back some of that 
pre-COVID in-person class dynamic by just participating more and starting conversations. And I find that that often gets other students talking. So, yeah, I think, I think there's this re-socialization that has to occur for people of any age, especially maybe your age group, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you get used to texting one another to the point where you don't make phone calls, right? Mm -hmm. And so my daughter has sort of gradually, because we've encouraged her, you know, like at first it was with her cousin, she connected with her the most, like they text every day. It's like, why don't you just call and chat? you know, talk like voice call. Right? Yeah. And, and and now with her, you know, her, with her little tight knit group, they do, <laughs> I think, FaceTime video calls all the time. They'll just have yes. it on in the background while they're studying, you know? Yeah. So, you know, they're not really, you can just sort of see their faces there. And I think that's kind of good, right? That she's improving that sense of just reconnecting with people in, in a more Yeah, and just way. getting to see body language and interpreting yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right, right. Okay. Um, all right. So let's wind down and talk a little bit about, and this is what I asked the grad students from, from the other day in my last interview. For you, where do you see yourself? This is the prototypical counselor question. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, honestly, I think it's very dependent on the state of the world mm. because um, I think one thing this generation, my generation has on the back of their mind is am I even going to live 20 years later from now because of climate change and all these global conflicts? So it, I feel like it's just really dependent on the current events. Like um, say if the world was, say if there was like a climate change report that came out that saying that, you know, we're going to be in a war for resources by 2030 or something, then I'll probably get a master's and call it a day. But if, if the future seemed hopeful, then I would probably go out and get a PhD with that extra time. Mm -hmm. So it just really depends on the world. Right, I think. So, so let me let me put you on the spot. For you personally, do you feel fifty percent or more hopeful about the future, or fifty percent mm -hmm. or a little bit less, like slightly pessimistic or slightly optimistic about our future? Well, <laughs> Honestly, it really, de it really depends. <laughs> Yeah. Because um, often I view the future with a pessimistic worldview, mm -hmm. of course. But once I do some mindfulness activities and calm down, I realize, okay, you know, every generation has been through mind. What, like, you know, that fear of the world ending, whatever. So right, right. Um, as of now, I think that people like our institutional leaders will act at the last minute, at the last chance. So even though it seems like they don't care about, you know, climate change and whatnot right now, I think they will be forced to do something about it when the deadline is really near. That's how that's always how it's been. Eventually, right? When it's yes, more eventually. urgent. Yeah. 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 So I have a feeling too, because, you know, coming from that psychological background is that when you have an, even though people have their differences, eventually they have to come together when they face a common yes. crisis. Yeah. Right? But I assume that I falsely assume that the uh, pandemic would be one of those because I, I was thinking, you know, in social psychology, we know, right, that that having a common goal can reduce these intergroup differences and prejudices, mm -hmm. right, when you have a common yeah. goal. And so I was thinking, okay, maybe this is a chance that the left and the right or whatever can be a little bit more united 
to fight the pandemic. Boy, yeah. was I wrong. <laughs> this is where social psychology <laughs> comes into play with the group, group polarization and all these right. group dynamics. So it's very interesting to yeah. see how, you know, social psych was, you know, factored into the pandemic. What I underestimated was that both climate change and the pandemic, they're, they're kind of invisible crises, right? Yeah. But like in this Houston area, we've had a lot of massive flooding in the past and, and hurricanes. And I think, and more often than not, this community comes together, right? Mm -hmm. in, a, in a very strong way, because I think it's unavoidable. It's so visual. Everybody's yes. suffering, right? Yeah. And I think that until climate change has that effect, that we're going to still see this polarization and all this, you know, conspiracy theory type stuff. Because if you can't see the problem, there's always room for doubt and room for, you know, yeah, false yeah. information about things. I think for now, um, both sides are having a lot of cognitive dissonance, you know, about yeah. who's at fault, like whose fault is it? Right. But I think eventually they will come to realize, oh, we are against one common, you know, suffering or something. So. Yeah. Yeah, I try not to get too much into the politics of things because then I get heartburn and then get all yeah uh, the apathy starts hitting. Yeah, depressed, especially with certain Twitter streams. I'm like, I'm going down this Twitter thread. It's like, oh, why did I go down this rabbit hole? You know. Oh yeah. But but as long as I get, gain perspective and try to observe it as an observer, right, or mm -hmm. from the psychological, like scientific point, social science point of view, then I can sort of try to grasp it and understand it better and not feel so emotional about it oh yes that's also a reason why i went to psychology and public health in the first place it mm -hmm. was to help me like rationalize what i was seeing in the mm -hmm. real world real world so yeah interesting yeah interesting mm -hmm. okay lisa thank you so much for your time this has been a lot of fun yeah absolutely um, yeah i think what i'm gonna try to do since now i have your email address is uh -huh. i'm gonna try to track down each student, whether it's a grad student, undergrad student that I've spoken to, and like do some sort of periodic update of some kind, you know, like, oh, yeah, that'd yeah, be interesting. yeah, I don't know what that period of time might be. I think two months is too soon, but three years is too long. So I'll, I'll try to figure out if my podcast is still alive. At some point that I'll try to <laughs> contact again, the students yeah. just to sort of see like, where are they now kind of thing. I think that'd be yeah. very interesting. I think that would also motivate me to <laughs> not fall off <laughs> just you know oh no i want to come in with a Dr. strong jack's like... gonna look for you <laughs> look yeah. for me i better i better uh, do something no 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 not to put pressure on these students okay yeah I mean, if, if you end up out of school and doing some total alternative career yeah, that's totally cool right yeah, i mean maybe that, i'll that... be an artist yeah you exactly know. exactly <laughs> yeah you, you show off your artwork like hey look at see this uh, streetcar that was my graffiti and yeah and you know was, i just saw a documentary about graffiti art and it was very interesting okay mm -hmm. well thank you lisa so hopefully we'll keep in touch and best of luck to you and uh to your professional yeah. life and mental health and all that mm -hmm. say hi to your brother who's in med school and uh, do you have <laughs> other siblings <laughs> um no just him just him yeah. okay yeah. okay you guys uh have a good relationship or or is it kind of competitive um, a good relationship oh, because good. yeah okay yeah well, we always he might he might listen to this so that's a good that's a good diplomatic response oh he's so. gonna make fun of me <laughs> i just know it <laughs> okay all right um okay thank you very much and i'll talk to you soon yeah thank you for having me dr jack okay sure you're welcome bye